Well, this week we continue in the series we're calling Hostage. And what we did with this whole series is we wanted to work, uh, pick topics that we knew were topics that really affected our lives in a negative way, <laughs> in the sense that they tend to control us, uh, they grip us, they, they truly make us feel like a hostage. And our whole intent with this series is to be pointing you toward God and point you toward his freedom and, and how to take steps towards breaking free from that issue, particular issue of the week. We looked at things like first week was identity. We looked at worry. We've looked at addiction. We've looked at bitterness. And we're going to look at another one today. If you've missed any of those, the messages are always out on the website. You can go to lifepointchurch.com slash listen. And if you podcast, you just click the podcast button or all the messages from this year, last year, and the years past are there. So I encourage you to grab your Bible and listen to any of those other ones that perhaps you've missed. Um, if you did not grab a Bible on the way in, then the ushers are going to be coming down for you to, um, if you forgot your Bible, they will give you one. I want to make sure that you have God's Word in your hand this morning as we look at this next issue. For those that are going through what we're going to look at today, um, no words can actually describe it. Folks that are dealing with this, actually words feel very empty to them. And it's been called the common cold of the 21st century with symptoms that present like lifelessness. But unlike like a common cold, which is kind of simple in its nature and its cause, what we're going to look at today is complex in what causes it and, you know, how to go about healing in, in this particular area. But for folks, this issue, it truly is one that they feel like they're a hostage to it. And for them, life feels like impenetrable kind of darkness. Life feels like they're living in a black, in a white world. And sometimes they'll go about saying things like, come quickly because my life is in distress. My eyes, they, they flood with tears. My body is withering away. I'm dying because of grief. My life is cut short because of sadness. My friends, they don't even want to come near me. When they see me, they turn the other way. I feel so lonely. I feel cut off from the Lord. Have you said those in the past, those words? Or maybe you're, you're saying them right now. What we want to look at today is the topic of depression. We want to start to shed some light for you on depression. It isn't anything new. The words that I just shared while we're in kind of pseudo-darkness there are not just words from somebody who's been depressed. They're words from the 31st Psalm. They're words from King David. And if he were to go to a doctor today, the psychiatrist would say, you're experiencing depression. That, those are things going, that's what's going on in your life right now. It is not anything new. When you, you can go back in history and you'll see that depression, it doesn't respect age, race, religion, geography. There are people Prime ministers, presidents, musicians, artists, theologians, preachers who have all dealt with depression and have talked about it. It's a concern for many people, and it really should be a concern of the church. 
Listen to these statistics. Five to 10% of American adults are experiencing major depression right now. 25% will experience major depression in their lifetime. One of the statistics says that if you were born after 1950, you have 10 times the likelihood of experiencing about a depression than those born prior to 1950. And depression is one of the top three causes of disability. It really does impact many, many people. Now, you, you may say, well, th those, those are numbers, and it may be hard to kind of grasp what that means. But let's kind of bring it home to our church family. When you look at your program, uh, over this past year, we average about 700 people that come here. Now, that number includes children. So you have to take out children. You get about 500 adults that come here uh, between both sites on a weekly basis. That means 50 people are experiencing major depression right now. Now, you can't do this this cleanly, but for illustration, I want to do it. That means 25 at this site and 25 at Six Forks right now are experiencing depression. And if you could split it between the two services, that means 12 in here right now, you're experiencing major depression. Now, you may say, well, 12, that's a, that's a manageable number. But one of the things with depression is it affects you and it affects the person that's connected to you. So if you have a husband or a wife, then that means now the number's 24. If you have a child, now you're up to 36. You have multiple children. You see that it affects many people. It is a concern for you and it's a concern for many. We really have to look at this as a church. And so I hope you don't check out on me today saying, I don't, I don't suffer from depression. You need to listen because if you don't know somebody that you really need to walk alongside of to help them through this, you probably will in your lifetime. So please listen this morning to what's going to be said. Depression has this way about draining our energy, especially if you're a Christian or Christ follower. We use that term as a Christian because you, you get, if you're depressed, you go, I shouldn't be depressed. I'm a Christian. You're not supposed to get this low. I better not let anybody know. And you just spend all this energy worrying like that. Then you hide. You don't want to let your friends know and your church family. And so you're kind of living in two different worlds. You know, the one that everybody sees on Sunday whenever you're out and about at work. And then you're in this dark, dark world at the other times, and it just drains your energy. And then, as a Christ follower, you got this whole medicine thing. If you've tried all of the, the cognitive techniques, and you've tried, you know, the spiritual disciplines, and everything that they're telling you, and now nothing's happening, you might say, maybe medicine is the thing that I need. But then you go, oh, I can't take medicine. My faith will be weak. I'm not a true Christian. And you wrestle with all of this. Depression drains our energy. It twists our values, and it truly is an assault on our faith. With depression, usually what comes along with it is a sense of deep despair and a sense of hopelessness. And here's, here's what God says about hopelessness. Proverbs 13, 12, A hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. For you that are here today and you're, and you're 
dealing with depression. I know that you would love for your longing to be fulfilled so that you can experience life again. But you're probably saying, I never will. I don't think I'll ever be able to experience that. One of the things I want you to hear today is you can get through the the other side of depression. God can help you walk through this. He can lead you through it. There's a major prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah. And we have a lot of his writings, and he prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And here's what um, some words he said about him. Chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now you fast forward a couple hundred years, hundreds of years, and Jesus is walking this earth. We can read an account in Luke 4 about a day that he was in, a Sabbath day where he was in teaching. And when they taught, usually you're handed a scroll and you do a reading. Well, that day they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And he chose to read those very words that I just read. And then when you read the account in Luke 4 because they'd hand the scroll back. Then they would go and sit and teach from that position. So it said all eyes were on the Lord. And he sat down and he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. And I say that because I can stand in front of you today and say, you will get through this. The Lord can be a leader for you and help you get to a sense, uh, you know, light in the darkness. I can say that because our God is still about binding up the brokenhearted. He is still about giving the captives freedom. He's still about bringing light to darkness. And that's what I hope you hear this morning amongst a couple of other things. Know that you can get to the other side of this. Let him help you through it. One of the ways that we get started in this is to understand the topic. Just like in in your daily life, if you want to learn about something, you set out to understand it. Last week, I had the opportunity to bring a professional in. I didn't have to go far because this person actually attends LifePoint Six Forks. Uh, his name's Dan Blazer. Uh, some of you may know him. He, well, I was there. See, he's not here today, so I can talk him up. But he said he's the most humble person, uh, he and his wife. Um, he said, just share that I'm a psychiatrist from Duke and that I love the Lord. But I really want you to understand that this guy's world-renowned. He's respected for just, he deals with depression and especially in the older generation. Matter of fact, he's on a plane today going to Taiwan to talk about depression. He published an article in Christianity Today. It was the lead article about um, depression. If you're doing the Roots Online series, he's the one that's authoring those devotions and the continued commentary on Roots. And he's written books, uh, commentaries on different books in the Bible. But he is respected. You see me laughing in the, uh, in the video here in a second. That's because when he came up, I said, did I do okay in announcing you? And, and he said, yeah, but you stopped at the right time. Uh, and if he was here today, he'd tell me to shut up. But you've got to understand, he is a professional. He sees this topic that we're going to talk about day in and day out. So what I want you to do is watch this interview. It's about 13, 14 minutes. And then I want to come back and talk about a few things.
Uh, so Dan, a couple questions that I want to ask you this morning. I said that the, you know, this is labeled as the common cold of today. And so depression's kind of used in so many different ways. I feel depressed, somebody will say. Or a lot of times they go and get this diagnosis of depression. Is, you know, how do you see it being used today, that term? Is it just a wide range of... It is used widely, and uh, it ranges all the way from the individual who just wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I, don't, I feel depressed, I'm kind of down today, you know, it's raining, uh, I don't want to go to work, I don't want to do much of anything, but then kind of gets on up and the next day is fine. All the way to what we would call a, a major or severe clinical depression where individuals for weeks, perhaps months, would have trouble sleeping, they would lose weight because they have no appetite, they uh, have absolutely no energy, uh, they often are just sitting, not thinking much mm-hmm. of anything, and they just feel no hope, and they feel just totally blank. They have no feeling for anything. They often will tell you that, uh, you know, if you put a million dollars in front of me, it wouldn't make any difference. I just don't care. So that, you know, words are empty, I think I said. That's exactly that's, right. That's yes, the way they feel. Um, as far as, like, causes of depression, can, can you say that it's, you know, it's, it's biological or it's psychological? You know, which, which one is it? It's, it's all of the above, and I think that's uh, very important to keep in mind. It's biological in the sense that anybody who suffers from a severe depression often is going to have some medical problems associated with that depression because it, depression physically shuts down many areas of the body and can, can create problems. We know the depressed don't live as long. On the other hand, uh, it's psychological in the sense that it certainly affects the way we think. We tend to mm-hmm. look on everything in a negative. The glass is always half empty. Uh, and it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way that I, as a doctor and a Christian, can speak with someone who's depressed without recognizing that this is really cutting really to the core of their spiritual being. So it's all at once. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you've said at times, too, that it's always spiritual. What do you mean by that? Or it can, can be spiritual. Well, I think we're spiritual beings, mm-hmm. but I think at the same time, depression, from my perspective, more than any other emotional problem, and these are the types of problems that I deal with, cuts to the core of one's spiritual being, challenges the sense of who we are spiritually in mm-hmm. our relationship with God, uh, makes us feel a sense of being cut off, but at the same time, I think, provides some guidance and understanding about how we work back. Uh, as we went through this in the first mm-hmm. service, you're going to get to some of that in the rest mm-hmm. of Psalm 31, which I think is a beautiful example of how out of depression we can grow spiritually. Mm. When somebody comes in your office and they're that despair, you know, and words are empty, I guess what would, what would you, how would you encourage somebody that's experiencing depression now and hasn't taken that step to go see a psychiatrist, to go see their doctor? How do you get them to do well, that? I think one thing that's helpful in working with someone who's severely depressed is to help them see they're not seeing things logically. They're not really able to see the future. They see very little hope. Therefore, they're not making rational decisions. So I often will talk to families as well as the individual and say, you know, just get the person in to talk to somebody. Now, often talking with the person who's depressed in and of itself doesn't get you very far because they're not really very open to advice. But listening to an individual and just getting them to speak up and tell you kind of how they feel, that begins to help you form somewhat of a bond and a relationship. 
and then through a number of ways, I think we can help individuals who are depressed. Mm. So the advice you would give somebody who wants to encourage somebody to go see somebody, can they, instead of, do you encourage them with words? Can they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and, you know, just suck it up and it's nice out, it's sunny out, just... The suck it up <laughs> advice doesn't work very well. Uh, I think what happens is come along with me. In other words, don't necessarily try to convince them. Just say, come along with me. Let's go. Why don't we go see somebody? Why don't we go talk to somebody? I think walking alongside somebody who's depressed is probably the best way we can help them. One of the things that's scary when you're walking alongside of somebody that's going through things like this is um, it's so dark that life sometimes doesn't feel like, to them, worth living. And so suicide, cutting themselves, you know, teenagers cutting themselves... um, how, as somebody walking alongside, what do, we, what do we do? What advice can you give us in that case? Well, I think I often look at suicide risk like I might look at risk for having a heart attack. So, for example, uh, all of us who are adults are at some risk for having a heart attack. Uh, if you have high blood pressure, if you have high cholesterol, if you are diabetic, uh, if you smoke, then your risk is much greater. In a person who's depressed, we know that anyone who is depressed potentially could commit suicide. What we can do is try to identify things that can reduce the risk. So in this case, getting weapons out of the house would be one thing. Mm -hmm. Suicide often is an impulsive act. And given the fact that it's impulsive, if there's not something there that you can act on immediately, like a gun that you can pick Mm -hmm. up and try to shoot yourself, then that impulse may pass away. In addition, get medications out of the house. If the person needs to take medications, have someone else giving them the medications, literally handing them to them and keeping the rest of them locked up somewhere. That will help. Another thing that helps is uh, to get the person just doing something because the person who is isolated in a way is much more at risk for suicide than the individual who's Mm -hmm. with other people. There may be things like substance abuse, alcohol, and drugs. You can get the person off alcohol, off of drugs. That will reduce the risk. So I think what we try to do in terms of reducing risk of suicide is really try to get those factors out that might increase the likelihood that the person might commit suicide, at the same time recognizing that we can't ever totally prevent the possibility of suicide. We just do the best we can. And so do you share that? Because like, the parents probably carry that, or, or the one that's close to them carry that weight. I do. I work mostly with older people, and uh, I often will bring in the spouse, children, and say, you know, your dad is very, very depressed. And by the way, older men, especially older white men, are at the highest risk of suicide of anybody in our society. Often we'll bring in and say, you know, there's nothing we can do to absolutely prevent this, but these are things we can do. One reason I say that is because I, if in that rare situation, but tragic situation when a suicide occurs, I do not want the family carrying the burden that they could have prevented it because 99 times out of 100, it cannot be prevented. Mm. If a Christ follower comes into your office and um, you know, you're working a bunch of different angles to this, and one of them is the biological and, and medication may be one of those things, some Christians would just not want to go there because... They think it, they're weak Christians. They should be able to stand up against this thing. How, what do you do? How do you talk to them? 
first off, there are a lot of people in this country taking antidepressant medications, and there are probably a lot of people in the Christian communities taking them as well. Probably 10 to 15% are taking antidepressants of one type or another. So actually the acceptance of medication is greater now, I think, than it was probably 30 or 40 mm-hmm. years ago when I first started in my practice. What I will say, however, is that uh, we need to realize that medications are a gift of God. And I often will tell people, I say, you know, these, these are, this is a good gift, it's not a great gift. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that if you're relying totally on a medication, if you think this is the answer, if I can just get a pill, that's going to solve all my problems, you've kind of missed something that's very important. On the other hand, in many situations, a medication can be of some definite benefit to a person mm-hmm. who's depressed. So prescribed in the right way, recognizing it's not everything, I think medications definitely have a role for individuals who are depressed. There's two groups I just want to get your uh, insight on. Uh, one is the younger gen, the youth of today, and uh, you know, help parents. You know, what what should they look for? Is there anything different they should look for as far as uh, depression signs of it, and and also medication? There, do, do we have to be careful? And the other thing is also the older generation, um, where you know now the boomers are caring for their parents and. Are these the same things we look for in the kids versus the... In some ways they're the same, but they're clearly very different. I think with children, uh, children are liable to say anything. And so often we get very disturbed by what our children say. Not that you want to ignore what they say, but on the other hand, they can say, oh, I don't care about anything, I don't want to go do anything. And 15 minutes later, they're out playing with with one of their friends. With children, I usually say look at what they're doing over time. Look at their function. How are they doing in school? How are they interacting with their friends? Are they spending too much time on the computer? Do they, uh, you know, again, weight is often a good thing to take a look at. Are, are, they, are they maintaining their diet? Are they getting too? Often children, if they're depressed, actually gain weight. Mm-hmm. And so looking at, looking at function over time is probably an important way of determining is this something serious or is it something that maybe it's not quite so serious. Whenever you suspect depression, you need to take it seriously. But the question is how seriously do you take it? With an older person, I think it's somewhat different. In contrast to a child who often will just say anything, uh, older persons often keep these things inside. So again, I think you have to look at function and, uh, and, and see how they're doing. For severe depression with an older individual, you look for weight loss, you look for difficulty sleeping, but as much as anything else, I think what helps actually with both children and older adults is when you talk with families, they will tell you, dad is different or Jimmy is different. You know, he's just not like he was a year ago. I've really seen a change and that change is really dramatic and it's gone on for a while now. Whenever you hear that, that's the time to be concerned that something there needs to be some kind of intervention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the spiritual side, what advice is you, you've got a Christian with you? What what would you encourage them? They've been diagnosed as depression. You see that. What would you tell them to do? Well, often they're telling you, I pray, I read scripture, it's not doing any good. I don't feel my prayers are going any higher than the ceiling. Uh, what I will tell them is that have to remember God is there. God is watching after you. You don't realize it. You don't feel like he's there, but he is there. So that's the first thing. I often suggest, you know, keep praying, keep reading. I know you don't feel like it's doing any good. Keep praying, keep reading. And I feel God can work through prayer and work through scripture. 
but it may take time and it may not be on our timetable that that happens. Again, I think it's very important for someone to say, I just want to walk along beside you. Right. You know, I want to, this, this, you're going through uh, sort of the, uh, the valley of the shadow of death, as we read in Psalm 23. And, you know, let's, let's walk along because I don't think this is going to lead to death. But finally, I think it's extremely important to recognize that, as we psychiatrists say, where there's depression, there's hope. There are many conditions we treat that are chronic, that don't get any better. In most cases, depression gets better over time. Mm. And so it's telling individuals, look, God is with you, and this is probably going to get better. You just have to kind of hang in there, and I'm going to be there with you on the, on the journey. Yeah, because that hope, they're hopeless, and hearing those words uh, must give them strength. Yes, absolutely. Yes, well, thank you very much for walking around this issue You're with welcome. us this morning. Thank you. Well, I hope, you know, hearing a professional say that he has seen people get through this and get to the other side. I have seen it in just my own counsel, being able to watch people, watch God journey them through that. And even though it's comp depression is complex, there are some simple things that we can talk about today to start you on the journey to seeking freedom in this area. And I kind of want to cover those in the close here. I want you to think about... Um, reaching out for help. Think of that word help, because I'm going to use an acrostic that's based, it's got the, the actions are kind of based on that word help. Dan, in the interview, he said, the first interview was funny because he told me, he said, during the interview, he said, you talked about only certain verses of Psalm 31. It was all the the negative ones, but you didn't. I said, Dan, I am going to get there. You're stealing my thunder. Um, but He's right. One, the first, the H, the first step we're going to talk about, um, David, the, the statements that David said, and when you look at others in the Bible who suffered and had dark times, you know, Elijah and Moses and Paul in the New Testament, when life for them got really difficult, when they didn't sense God in, in the midst of what was before them, when they didn't feel like going on another day, they really lived out this first principle, and it was influential, I think, in helping them journey through this. And, and it's this, hope in God and his goodness. You see, during depression, that life may be bad. That's what you see before you. That part may, is true, but it doesn't change the fact that God is still good. And what you see when you... Read the rest of the psalm. David is able to say, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Now, there was a sense of despair that he was facing. There were some realities of what was going on. And he said, You are my rock. You are my fortress. In you, I will rejoice in your love. And he ultimately can, can say, I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. And so the question we've always got to ask ourselves, and I ask you today, what are you putting your trust in? What is the context for your hope? Because for David and Paul, their context was that God is still good. Despite what I see, I remember the good he's done. I know the good he's going to do. I know the promises he has made me, and that's what I'm going to put before me. 
So what do you anchor your hope in? What do you anchor your trust in? If it is in anything other than God, I will guarantee you it will not hold you. When you get in a dark place like depression, your car won't hold you, your looks won't hold you, your education won't hold you, your spouse won't hold you. Those are all good things. But when you elevate them to the most important thing in your life, that is what you get your purpose and your significance about, then when they start to go away, you feel like you have lost your significance and you have lost your purpose and you have no idea how to even function because you don't think you have a role anymore. That is a flat out lie. Your purpose and your significance in God's eyes has not changed at all. David in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament was one who suffered. And we read these words in 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. If you go and read about Paul's suffering, go over to 2 Corinthians 11. You will see that he was put in prison. He was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He was stoned. He was hungry. He was thirsty. Despite all of that, staring him in the face, he was able to say these words. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You need to trust God with what you do not see and what you do not feel. In the dark time like depression, you will not see, you will not feel, but you've got to trust him that he sees where to take you and you need to let him lead you and that renewing day by day, he means it. You won't feel like taking those steps, but take him up on his promise and take a step and hope in him and his goodness and your feelings will catch up to you and he will fulfill your promises. The E stands for enlist others. One of the things with depression is you will always see a person withdraw. They will start to avoid others. You need to fight the temptation to withdraw uh, or you know, run away from others. You are created, as a rela- Dan said, a spiritual being, a relational being. And when you start to cut that part off of your life, then you are not going to be running on a full tank. You will not be able to live life the way you were supposed to. So what do you do there? What's, you're probably saying, yeah, what's my suggestion? Well, there are a couple of things. You need to start making yourself accountable to others. There are simple things like this. If you've never gotten a medical checkup, go talk to a doctor because there may be a biological aspect to this. So go make an appointment this week. Start that way. Another thing you can do at the same time is make a call to the office. Come sit with one of the pastors and let's, let's look at the spiritual side of this. Your friends, let them into what is going on in your life. Stop living over here where you're trying to present a different, you know, this whole facade when really it's a pretty dark place over here. Let them in to your suffering. Let them know that darkness. Tell them what you're about to do to, you know, to make this situation better. There is something that when you 
open up to another individual, when you share what's going on, there is healing that starts to take place because now you're starting to get into a relational context. Enlist others. Fight the urge to avoid. The L is listen to God's thoughts, not your own. When you get depressed, you hear Dan talk about this. You get tunnel vision. You start to think black and white. You get very negative. You say, I'm, I'm no good. I'll never get out of this. You know, um, this person always does that. It's never going to change. This situation, I don't see it change. You automatically go to those things. And you do, you know, when life, there's a saying, when life starts to stink, our perspective really shrinks. And, we, and that's where having others come alongside of you and start to speak the truth starts to open that up. When you go to God and you're hoping in him and his goodness, that starts to open that up. You need to stop auto, your automatic thinking. You need to be intentional with your thought life and start to put, as Dan said, he said, what, you know, in response to a question, what should a Christian do? And he said, well, they should pray and they should read the scriptures. They're not going to feel like it, but they need to put that before them because what you're putting before you, if we could have a little monitor on your head, it would be all that negative stuff. And you need to put the truth about who God says you are. You need to put the truth about what we are, how we are to walk in life and how we are to love one another and how we are to receive love from one another. Those are the thoughts that we're supposed to be putting there. We need to be intentional with our thought life. Paul would say it this way, 2 Corinthians 10.5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take control of your thought life. That is one thing you have control over. If you're not sure how to do it, ask a friend, ask that pastor, ask that uh, counselor, ask that doctor, hey, I, w- I want to stop this negative in my mind. How do I start renewing? Last one is pursue simple pleasures again. And you're probably saying, well, what's that mean? You know, you're telling me to set goals. I don't feel like, I don't feel like doing any of those things. Correct. When you're in a depression, you don't f- you're, you're, the way you operate is, I don't feel, so I'm not going to do. You need to turn that around and start to think and know the truth and then act out of that. So if for you, if playing soccer was something that you used to like to do and your tunnel vision is going to say, well, I can't go and play a game on Saturday like I used to. That was four hours. I haven't done that. Stop. Maybe for you, it's getting the ball. And going in the backyard, I'm not a soccer player, so this isn't going to make sense, but getting the ball and kicking it against the garage or the foundation and doing your footing. That's, a, that's what I mean when you say simple pleasures. If you're a runner, you may think, well, I, there's no way I'm going to run a half marathon again. Maybe a simple thing is for you to lace on your shoes and walk two blocks today, come back, and that's, that's what I mean by simple pleasure. As Dan said, these things, hoping in God and his goodness, enlisting others, listening to his truth, and pursuing those simple pleasures, it may not feel like it's doing anything, but it will. Trust him, it will. 
in close, Psalm 31, there's a couple other good verses. And this is in my own life. I know that when I have gotten to a point when life looks really dark and the reality of some things, you can't see your way through it. But when I can finally kind of lean into this um, and when I've counseled people and they come back and their disposition is so, their countenance is much different. I know that they, had, they got to this point right here, what David says. Verse 5 says this, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I opened up, we're in the dark. I was reading in the same psalm. All that dark stuff was there. But yet he could say, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. I know everything that's going on here. I don't want any of that. But ultimately, I'm just going to rest in your hands. Verse 15, he says, my times are in your hands. And if you're like me, you know what your times, you know what you want today, tomorrow, you know what you want in a year. But David's able to say, I know what I want, but ultimately, ultimately my time is in your hands. I trust you, Lord. Question for you. Have you entrusted your spirit to God? No matter what's going on right now, have you entrusted your spirit to God? Do you believe that his grace and his strength, you know, that when you are weak, he is strong? Do you believe he can do that? Because he can. My prayer for you is that you would get to that point where you say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. If you go right to page one, Genesis, you see where God took out of the darkness, what did he do? He made light. Again, my prayer is that he would take the darkness in your life. You would allow him to do that. Allow him to help you reach out and start to pursue freedom in this area and let him transform your darkness into light. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you so much that in this topic that seems so heavy, Uh, that is heavy, that is uh, a dark place for many, a dark place where they sit and wonder, is it really worth it? I hope today that um, people heard that there is hope and that you can lead them. There is nothing beyond uh, your ability. I just pray simply that out of all of this, people hear that I'm going to get through this. And then they start to take some of those simple steps. and, And most of all, they would say, be my leader through this, Lord because you're going to be the one that gets me through it and that they would reach out, hold your hand, and follow your lead. Just thank you for that hope that we have and uh, we take steps and follow you. In your son's name I pray.